0: Welcome to God Meets the Grind. Today we're starting a series in the book of Philippians. I'm Lance Leffler, your tour guide to the Bible. The city of Philippi was ideally situated on a sprawling, fruitful plain in the Roman province of Macedonia, what is today northeast Greece. Just a few miles up from the Aegean Sea, surrounded by farmland and green mountains, Philippi was an important town on the Via Ignatia, the famous Roman road that facilitated travel, communication, and eventually the spread of the gospel west to Rome and beyond in the first century. The city has been excavated and the usual urban fixtures uncovered, and you can see them today, a large amphitheater, a forum, an acropolis on the hill above the city, They call it Philippoi now. Around AD 62, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a small church there. I'll go back and forth on that whole AD versus CE thing. Paul actually founded the church in Philippi, so he had a long, cherished relationship with them. Unlike most of the churches Paul wrote letters to, this was actually a good church with few problems. I love this book. It's an easy read and a quick read. Doesn't mean this will be a quick series, though. Just saying. So let's jump in. Let's look at verses one and two. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul identifies himself and Timothy as servants of Jesus, slaves, actually. Paul begins by wishing the Philippians grace and peace, two very important words in Christian thought, which we'll come back to later. I want to point out one thing that might be confusing, though. Paul refers to the recipients as saints. Today, when we think of saints, we think of people the Catholic Church has designated as saints, like Mother Teresa. These were devoted Christians who, according to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, lived heroically virtuous lives and did at least one miracle. But what Paul is talking about here is just everyday believers in Jesus. In the New Testament, every believer is called a saint— So there are two definitions of the word saint out there. Very special Christians and ordinary Christians. Doesn't mean we're always that saintly. Most believers I know would shy away from the term. But the New Testament usage is not sort of a progress report on our behavior, but a name given to us when we believe. It has to be tied to the fact we belong to a holy God. Okay, let's keep going. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that delightful? Take notice of how delightful that is. The Bible's not always that delightful. If you read some of Paul's other letters, like Corinthians and Galatians, you see how much opposition and betrayal and criticism and lies he put up with from other churches. But Philippi, what a breath of fresh air. Paul thanks the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel. He worked part-time as a leather worker, tent maker, and was partially supported, and the Philippians were some of his biggest supporters. One beautiful comment Paul makes here in verse 6, don't miss this, "...he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ." We'll talk a lot more about this later, but I just wanted to point it out. God is working in you to help you grow. In verse 7, Paul continues, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is in prison probably in the city of Rome. If you want to get more of the story of Paul's life, you can read about it in the book of Acts. From Acts 16 on, it's all about Paul and his troubles with the Jewish antagonists and his appearances before Roman magistrates. Acts 16, by the way, is the story of Paul coming to Philippi and founding the church and getting thrown into jail and released from jail by God in an earthquake. Now let's get to our main focus for today. Paul's prayer in verses 9 through 11. Here's what he says. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. In verse 9, Paul couples love and discernment, a couple so contentious, they never seem to get past the first date. I don't know why, but we're either love people or truth people. And love people tend to have no discernment, and truth people tend to have no love. This prayer that Paul lays out in verses 9 through 11 is such a perfect little snapshot. I call it a portrait of the virtuous Christian. In a few words, Paul captures the essence of a well-founded, loving, growing, righteous person. Why this is so meaningful to me is that you might have experienced this too. When you set out to follow Jesus and go to church and all that, you can easily get overwhelmed by the variety of virtues and disciplines and attitudes and activities the Christian's supposed to be occupied with. But Paul captures the heart of it in just a few words. He's so concise. I love concise. I get bored easily. Note something here. It's a prayer. You know what that means? It means Paul sees it as necessary to appeal to God for help on these matters. (laughs) This is where God comes into our daily life, under our radar, propping us up to find grace to face the grind. We really do struggle to maintain love and discernment together, don't we? It's easy to think that love means we just accept everybody the way they are. And discernment, well, that's sort of surly and judgy. Discernment's like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. But Paul rightly sees that true love is informed by knowledge and discernment. In verse 10, he adds, "...so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." He's still trailing this idea of our love abounding, but he gives it even more dimension here, that we would be able to approve what is excellent. By excellent, I think Paul means the revelation of God, his character, his instruction. And to approve of it is to remap your world around it. The result is that we would be, hopefully, eventually, pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure and blameless are goals, targets we aim at. God is pure, unmixed with sin or flaws in any way. The Bible says he dwells in unapproachable light, light being a symbol of purity there. Blameless is another word for righteousness, which Paul gets into in the next verse where he says filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What does he mean? What is the fruit of righteousness? It's an interesting theme in the new Testament fruit. Since ancient societies were mostly agrarian illustrations from agriculture resonated strongly with them. Jesus used tons today. We draw our illustrations from sports because most of us don't know much about fruit. We have a vague idea of where to find it in the grocery store because we've seen it on the way to the ice cream. Maybe the most famous passage in the New Testament about fruit is in the book of Galatians chapter 5. There in verses 22 and 23, Paul describes the effect of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In Galatians 5, Paul is encouraging the believers to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is such a huge concept. But what does the life of a person walking by the Spirit look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Nine characteristics or marks that he lists there. I'm sure it's not meant to be a comprehensive list, just a sketch. But notice how he heads it up with love just as he does here in Philippians 1.11. Love is the big watermelon. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the most important command. So this is Paul's prayer for us, that we would pursue this sort of spiritual formation, if you will, to surrender to the Holy Spirit so we can yield the fruit of righteousness, quote-unquote. However unevenly, given our sometimes fickle devotion and lopsided priorities, This is a great prayer to write out, friends. Stick it on your refrigerator or bathroom mirror and pray it. I think you'll find it helps you grow. Speaking of growth, in our next episode, we're going to look at God's counterproductive growth strategy. You won't want to miss it. That's next time on God Meets the Grind.